We actually, uh, two weeks ago, read from that psalm, and I mentioned then that it's, uh, it's the most cited psalm and uh, in the New Testament. It's a marvelous psalm of our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to John chapter 10. We took, uh, took a little break from the psalm and Hosea series last week with our friends Peter Zabo and Yula Bagoli here from Hungary. And uh, I'm sure that uh, as a number of us have talked through the week, what a blessing the last Lord's Day was to us, to having those men with us and to enjoy their fellowship and to hear from them, both informally in the adult Sunday school time, uh, but also formally as they both were able to bring God's word to us in its simplicity and clarity in the morning and evening services. So now we're back to John. We're in John chapter 10. We're going to be picking up where we left off last, and that is in verse 22. Verse 22 of John chapter 10. You will, uh, will know that, uh, and for those who don't, I'm going to tell you, we've just spent time over a two-week period looking at verses 1 through 21. There Jesus sets forth himself as the only door of entry into the Father's presence. I am the door, Jesus said. One of those I am sayings of the gospel accounts. And then he said, also, I am the good shepherd. There, running the mind of his Jewish hearers back to Ezekiel chapter 34 and the great promise there God made that since the earthly shepherds are not taking care of his people, he himself would come and do it. He is the good shepherd. And so now today we pick up Although it's a few months later, we pick up with the very same theme. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I gave them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, 
It's not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are God's? If he called them God's to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him who the Father consecrated and sent into the world? You are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever and forever. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful, wonderful morning. We ask you to bless it for the good of your people in this place today, that you might cause us all to leave this place knowing the voice, trusting the voice, and following the Savior. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Children, you need to know something about your parents. When your parents speak and you acknowledge them, that is, they say your name and you say, yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. And they then tell you something that you need to do for your good. And then you get busy playing and you don't do it. then that's troubling to your parents. And I'm going to tell you why. First of all, you didn't obey them. But when you don't obey your parents, you know what it says to them? It says that you don't really love them. Because when you hear them and you do what they say, it says, you know what? I I know my parents have the best in mind for me. They love me. What they've asked me to do, what they've told me to do, what they're giving me to do is good for me. It's good for us. I love them and I want to do it. Well, that's what's going on here. And this goes on in the Christian life. God says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Those are the very words we'll get to in John chapter 14 in a few uh, weeks or months. And Jesus says very clearly, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And when we don't keep his commandments, it's 
says we don't really love him like we should. And we don't really love him the way we claim that we do. Because I suspect every Christian who professes faith in Christ would say that they love the Lord Jesus Christ. After all, when Jesus was asked, as we professed earlier in using the summary of the law, when he was asked, what's the first and great commandment? Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That really is the essence of saving faith, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So this passage is a, is a, is a very challenging passage. It's a convicting passage. And the Lord says some very, very intense things in this passage. We've moved in time, as you noticed, in verse 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place. Well, now, we've been around the Feast of Tabernacles and Booths up until this point. That takes place in the fall, right? Right? Those who've been here, you'll remember that. The Feast of Tabernacles, sometimes it's called Feast of Booths. It takes place in fall. It's part of the celebration of all of God's great blessings. The harvest, his faithfulness. They've planted and he has been faithful to water and to give the sunshine at the right time. And to bring about the great harvest. Now that feast, you'll find prescribed in the Old Testament. Now some of you may be wondering, maybe you read ahead. Maybe first time you heard this read was when I read it this morning. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. Now you can look in vain in the Old Testament and you won't find the Feast of Dedication. Because the Feast of Dedication is a, a, a man-made feast. It came up during the time we call the silent period from the end of the Old Testament communication of God to those first days of John the baptizer coming and God reopening the line of communication with his people. Some 400 years. Back during that period... A fellow by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes didn't care much for the Jews, and he was in control. He was warring against the Jews. And he went into the Jewish temple, and he sacrificed a pig on the altar. Now, if you're unacquainted with Old Testament law, that may not seem like anything terrible because we love sacrificing pigs on the altar of our, our smokers, right? Pig is good. But for the Old Testament people, God had said there were a number of things you shouldn't eat, not because they were bad for them, but there are a number of things you're not going to eat because this is going to distinguish you from other people. I'll just jump real quickly in case your conscience are panging right now. Uh, God dealt with that issue in the new covenant, right? That great scene to the, to, to the apostle Peter, and he shows him everything. 
the lobster and the shrimp and the, the, the oysters and, and the pigs and said it's all fine, it's all good. Because see now, what distinguishes the church now is the, in the fullness of time, the coming of Christ and the giving of the Holy Spirit in fullness. And so it's the Spirit living in and with each of us in a, in a remarkably unique way that was not known in the Old Testament period. It was known in degree, but not in fullness. So God said, okay, no, no longer. We need the food regulations. And so we're free to eat those things. And many of us in here are very thankful for that. That was the problem with the sacrificing of the pig on the altar in the temple during the time of what we call the Maccabean period. And we don't have time for a history lesson. Just know that there was this wonderful man named Judas Maccabeus, and he's the guy who took up and led the charge of the Hebrew people and dealt with their enemies. And he is a great Hebrew in Jewish history. But that's what the Feast of Dedication is all about. The people got all excited and said, oh, we need a feast for this. And so they did. Now, if you look on your calendar, the Hallmark calendar or whatever calendar you have on your wall, or even on your Apple phone. I don't know if Android's smart enough to do calendars or not, but I know Apple is because that's what I have. It has not a feast of dedication stamped on a date, but it has Hanukkah stamped on a date. And if you have any Jewish friends, you'll know that they celebrate Hanukkah. Well, that's the feast of dedication. Okay. All of that said, we'll move on from that. What we've done here is we've moved about three months. We've moved from uh, something in the September-October range Remember, with the Feast of Booths and Tabernacles? And now we're in winter time. We're about three months later, the Feast of Dedication. This dedication comes close to something like the middle to the end of our month, December. All right. We've moved along in time. But what you're going to see, and you notice as I read, the Lord hasn't moved along in his thought. He hasn't moved along in his message, has he? We've still got my sheep hear my voice. That was back in the fall. He was dealing with that. And we've still got Jewish people, including their religious leaders, who don't get it. They're hearing, but they don't understand. They're just like Isaiah prophesied. Isaiah prophesied over and over, having ears to hear, they would not hear. Having eyes to see, they could not see. And it's coming true. Now that prophecy from Isaiah is still true today, isn't it? All of us who, who possess faith that God's given us and we trust the Lord Jesus Christ and he has changed our life and he is the love of our life. We all know friends who 
just can't see it and can't get it. They hear, and you can show them on the pages of God's inerrant, infallible word, but they just can't see what the big deal is. And that's always sad when we see that. All right, let's get on to the passage with that introduction. Jesus teaches us in this passage that the works of Christ confirm the words of Christ, and yet unbelief, unbelief ignores both the work and the words of Christ. That's the problem. It's not that it doesn't make sense. That someone would have to deal with the sins that we commit, that makes sense. I mean, think about it. In a family situation, somebody does something wrong, somebody's got to deal with it. Right? Somebody's got to answer for it. Somebody's got to fix it. You, you just can't let mistakes and errors and sin go on and on in a family or it'll be chaos and it'll end up in total shutdown of the family. So there's nothing irrational about the gospel message. But unbelief ignores it. Unbelief doesn't get it. Unbelief is the problem. So we're just going to look at the first. Some of you already looked at your watch and you said, man, we got the Lord's Supper and he's not even got to point one yet. We're just doing point one today, okay? So just take a deep breath and relax. By the way. I had a dream last night. I, 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 I don't often dream, but I had one last night. It was very vivid. At 12.25, I looked at my watch and realized it was 12.25, and I was not finished yet. Now, that's the kind of dreams pastors, preachers have. They're tormentuous. There are worse dreams than that, but I promise at 12.25, we'll not be finishing the sermon. We'll probably be, as normal, finishing the Lord's Supper about that time. Just so you know. The deity of Christ is questioned and answered in these first verses, 22 through 30. The deity of Christ is questioned and answered. That's the whole question. The Jews gathered, how long are you going to keep us in suspense if you are the Christ? That is, if you're the Messiah. And the Jews understood the Messiah to be God come to earth. If you're this Messiah, this Emmanuel, come down to earth, tell us plainly. Now, there are people today who might say, you know, I can kind of sympathize with them. Jesus has not yet said anything. Just, yes, I'm God. He keeps saying that he came down from the Father. The Father sent me. I do what the Father says to do. I say what the Father says to say. And so you might say, and people do, say this in theological liberal circles at least. Well, I can understand why they're confused. He hasn't come right out. And then Jesus responds and says, oh, but I have come right out. I have told you plainly. Oh, that's what follows. 
Jesus said, I told you, and you do not believe. They said, tell us plainly. He says, I've done it. Your problem is not that you can't hear me. Your problem is you don't believe me. And that's the problem always, folks. Again, back to what I've said already. It's not that we can't understand. It's not that you can't see. It's we don't believe. Faith is the issue. Unbelief is the issue. Unbelief is the problem. You say, it's okay. Maybe you're sitting here and you say, I'm, I'm that person. I hear it. I see it. I just don't believe it. In that case, here's your, here's your alternative. You say, but if I don't believe, I don't know how to get out of this problem. I seem to be caught in a little whirlwind here. I don't believe, so I don't believe. And if I don't believe, I can't believe. You're right. But there's a prayer you can pray. You'll find it in Luke chapter 18. You've got the publican. And you've got the scribes, the Pharisees. And the scribes and Pharisees stand and proudly talk to the heavens. And their prayers don't get out of their voice range. And then you've got the sinner. He says, beating his breast, which is symbolic for, I deserve to die. I don't deserve to have this heart beating inside of me. And here's all he said. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know what that passage says? That man went home justified before God. The Pharisee stayed in his unjustified condition, his proud, arrogant condition. So if you're sitting here this morning, you say, that's my problem. I just don't believe. I hear it every week. I hear it. I've heard it all my life. I just don't believe it. I don't see what the big deal is. Then your prayer option is God be merciful to me, a sinner. You know what that be merciful to me means? God, you're going to have to do for me something I can't do for myself. That's what the word literally means. It's propitiation. It means, God, you have to be the one to do this for me because I can't. And that's where we all have to come to, isn't it? In our unbelief. Lord, please give me the faith that I don't have. And even as believers. Lest you think I'm beating up on unbelievers, even as believers, we have to pray the prayer. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We have to pray the prayer. The disciples prayed, Lord, increase my faith. Because we realize he's the source of our faith. He's the giver of faith. We don't have it in us. It comes from him. So Jesus tells them that the works that God the Father had done through him were sufficient for them to believe. Verse 26 says that. And by the way, the great works that, the, that, that God has done are on display all around us and should set us up. They're like a preview. They set us up. For what we read in the Bible. I'll let you go back and read Romans chapter 1 verses 18 and following. Uh, very simply put, 
The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. See, that's the problem. People in their unbelief suppress the truth. And then God goes on and says, people look at the heavens, they look at all of creation, and they miss it. They deny they're suppressing this truth for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Folks, listen, no one's going to stand on that great day of judgment in the face of God and say, I, I didn't know. Somehow, I, I was not told. God says, creation is declaring it. That God is God and man is man and that his attributes are great. You say, but the trees don't declare. The sky doesn't declare. The deity of Christ is not perceivable in those beautiful knockout roses out there. And you're right. But the power of God that's on display in the trees and the sky and the knockout roses and everything else that's so beautiful right now except this doggone pollen that's killing me. Everything says there's a God, and if there's a God, we need him because we're not like him. And the Bible then reveals how we can come to know this God that we need. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who's to reveal to us in the scriptures. And Jesus is saying, I've been revealing myself. I told you, you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you're not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So the question we have to ask is, okay, have we heard the voice of Christ? Christ calling us to believe. This is the Christ, remember, all that we've seen in John so far. This is the Christ that has walked on water. This is the Christ who has taken dirt put it on a man's eyes, mixed it with a little of his own saliva, and given the man his sight. He not only can suspend nature and make water solid to walk upon, it wasn't frozen, by the way, but he can also just take ordinary things and use them to accomplish his holy means. So both the miracles and the providence of God at work in Jesus. And then he's saying things that no mere man can say and you take seriously. And he says, you don't believe because even though you hear, you don't follow me. That's what he goes on to say. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Now here's a question for you. See, this gets to this distinction that I've been, I've been wailing away with for the past several months. The distinction between a profession of faith and a possession of faith. We can sit and say, oh, I believe in Jesus. And it has absolutely no life-changing effect upon us. But when we possess faith, when genuine saving faith is possessed, in other words, when it's in us and we are, we are 
we're utilizing it to its fullest, it changes us. We're changed people. We follow him. And then here's the result. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. And notice what it says then. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This is one of those wonderful passages. We could go back to John chapter 6 and read many of the same things here. We've already seen them. Jesus just, it's, it's like he's in a loop of repetition. John's just using it over and over and over because we don't get it. We don't listen. We don't pay attention. So he repeats and he repeats and he repeats. And why? Remember why John's doing this? What's the ultimate purpose of John doing this? Chapter 20, so that you may believe on him and have everlasting life. So don't get bored with the repetition. Because that's not the point. John's not trying to bore us to death. He's trying to bring us to faith unto life. And then here's a beautiful thing. I give them eternal life. Notice we don't get it. You hear people say that I got saved. No, you didn't get it. He got you. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Notice, doesn't say they, they won't perish. They will never perish. That's unending, not perishing. That's part of the good news, y'all. We will never perish. Why? Because no one will snatch them out of my hand, Jesus said. And then we move to this. My father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. Now this goes back to John chapter 6 again. My father, who has given them to me. Notice, we didn't get... The Father, the Father got us, he gave us to the Son. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You say, wait a minute. Jesus just repeated. Jesus said no one snatches them out of his own hand. And now he's saying no one snatches them out of the Father's hand. That's right. That's exactly what Jesus is doing because he's making a point because remember how this thing started. Don't leave us in suspense. Are you God? Are you the Christ? And so Jesus says, no one can snatch you out of my hand and no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Now to a sane believing person, what's Jesus just said plainly? I and the Father are one. Oh, he decided to say it plainly. Verse 30, I and the Father are one. He just said it. He's just, he's just condi- con- condensing it for us, putting it into a succinct statement. I tell the students all the time, compound complex sentences drive me crazy. And I know sometimes I talk in them because I get off on little trails in preaching. I, I got you. But I don't write that way. Compound complex sentences confuse people and they usually don't communicate. 
by the time it's over. So I tell, write simple sentences. And Jesus just put these two compound sentences into a simple sentence. I and the Father are one. The Son of God claims power and authority to preserve his people. And he attributes the power and authority of the Father to preserve his people. Their people are the same people. My sheep hear my voice. The Father gave them to me. Same people that are being preserved by the same authority. The authority of the Son of God, the authority of the Father God. Their people are the same people. Their power and authority accomplish the same thing. They are working in unison. And then he makes the statement, I and the Father are one. Now, while this is not a definitive statement of the divine essence of the Lord, and I could go into the details on why it's not a definitive statement, it is a definitive statement of the unity of the Father and the Son. This is the way one of the really fine commentators puts it. Identity is not asserted. But essential unity is asserted. These two, the Father and the Son, belong together. And then he says this. It's another, it's another statement which puts Jesus Christ with God rather than with man. In other words, Jesus is attaching himself one more time. Now, he's the God-man. But he's attaching himself one more time with the Father. What I say, the Father told me to say. He just, one more time, he's drawing himself right up in unity with the Father. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. God the Father. They are one in unity. You and I can't say that. We're not in unity with God. And if you look in the mirror and think about your lives, you know that. He is holy, holy, holy. He is righteous without any sin, and we're not. Only Jesus could make that claim because only Jesus is eternally divine, the eternal Son of God. So they asked Jesus for a plain answer, and they got more than they bargained for. He claims divine unity with the Father, and in so doing, he rebukes them for their unbelief, for not believing what he's done and what he said. So, Jesus has moved on a few months in time, but he's not moved along at all in his thought, in his theology. He's still establishing his deity through his ownership of the sheep. His sheep hear his voice and they recognize it. But as we noticed here, we've seen before, they not only hear it and recognize it, they follow the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the final question, which has already been asked. Is that your faith? Are you like the sheep or are you like the religious people of the day? 
Are you hearing the voice of Christ through the preaching of the word and you're following him? Or are you hearing the voice and you're not following him? One is true belief and the other is unbelief. Those are sober questions, aren't they? How do I live during the week? I'm supposed to live by faith. I know I'm supposed to do everything as unto the Lord. Is my life such that people see me following Christ and so they, they would know that I really do believe what I say I believe? Well, some of the people, you noticed at the very end, and we'll come back to this again in two weeks, some of the people believed. In fact, it says in verse 42, many believed in him. My prayer this evening, this morning is that all of us would leave and we'd all be part of the many who are believing in him. And that means we leave these, this room through the doors following Jesus wherever he leads. Father, thank you for your word. We're so glad that we have a God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who love us and tell us all about himself, the one God in three persons. May we have faith to believe and faith that follows. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.